0: Amen. Amen. I said that last song we, we, we sang, I love that line in there, the cry of my heart is not to sing you praise, but to what? But to bring you, bring you praise. Okay, God, I, I want the way that I live, the things that I do, the way that I speak, I want those things to, to bring you praise. When people see my life, I, I, I want it to bring you praise. Okay, let's do this. Word in week 8 of our series on the fruit of the Spirit that we're calling It's Time to Grow. And listen, it really is time for every Jesus follower in this room to take seriously the command of God to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's time for us to take seriously God's command to grow up in our salvation, right? To to take off the bib, right? you know, and begin to feed ourselves and grow to look more and more like Christ. Uh, understand, to actually have this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us and growing and maturing through us is a game changer, is a life changer, is a home changer, is a church changer, is a world changer. I'm going to repeat that. To actually have this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control maturing in us and flowing out from us, that is a game changer. It's a life changer. It's a home changer. It's a church changer and a world changer. Get it? Good. Jesus in John chapter 7 said that the Holy Spirit, it's like a river. It's like a river of life. Uh, He said, whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And now as we saw several weeks back, the prophet Ezekiel wrote about in the year 500 BC, he he was given a a vision of this life-giving river, and he wrote about it in the 47th chapter of his book, in the passage that was read on the Feast of Tabernacles, which were, was G, where Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, right? Rivers of living water. On the, on the last and greatest day of that feast, the, the high priest would take water and he would pour it out, and that water symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And, and every time they celebrated, they would read Ezekiel 47. Now, I'm going to read part of Ezekiel 47 about this river, about this vision, Uh, This vision about about the Holy Spirit. And as I read these words, remember that they were and they are being fulfilled as God's spirit flows through his people. Check this out. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right side of the altar on the south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway. And led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet. And then he led me across. The water was up to my ankles. This water flowing through the temple. He measured off another 17,050 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. After Another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. <laughs> and then he measured another 1,750 feet, and this river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you, have you been watching, son of man? You paying attention? And then, then he led me back along the river bank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of, of this river that was flowing from the temple. Then he said to me, this river, remember, this is the Holy Spirit that's coming to us. This river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows, this river of life, this river of Holy Spirit. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea. For its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from the Ingeti to the En Egelim. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, because it's no longer dead, just like the Mediterranean. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. And the Holy Spirit has come, and the Holy Spirit is in us, and we are the temple. And wherever the river flows out of us, life will be everywhere. Father God, we love you, and God, we long to be in your presence this morning, and we thank you for the spirit that you placed inside of us. And God, I pray that that spirit will flow, that a spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, I pray this river will flow out from us into our workplaces, into our communities, God, and I pray that Everywhere this river touches, Lord, we know that dead things will be brought back to life. And God, I I know you want to speak to us today. I know you want to speak to me even as I stand up here speaking. And God, I pray that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And God, somehow enable me to share your truth in a way that brings you honor and glory. God, I I, I pray that you you forgive the sins of the guy standing here for there are many. And I pray that your word produces fruit today. And I believe in your word because it's living and active. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want you to imagine that you're in the grocery store and you're walking through the produce department picking up some fruit, all right? And when you're in the produce department, what kind of fruits do you buy? Chances are if you're like most of us, you buy, you know, Apples and bananas, kind of the staples. Uh, you've got oranges and strawberries when they're in season, and maybe some grapes. Last November, Fortune magazine uh, had an article about the top five most popular fruits in America. And Here they are. Here they are. Coming in at number five is citrus, right, at $2.133 billion a year, all right, okay? Okay. Um, Anybody buy any citrus recently, of any kind? Okay, we got some citrus buyers out there. All right, contributing to that uh, 2.133 billion. And next, coming in at number four is grapes. All right, at 2.135 billion dollars a year. Any grape buyers out there? All right, coming in at number three is bananas, at 2.183 billion dollars. You know, and, and, and I have some bananas here. Anybody like bananas? All right, I'm throwing them out there, okay? I, m- my wife knew I was getting stuff, and I just like to throw at church. I know it's maybe not proper, but all right. Anybody, any bananas over here? All right, I got one more. Hey, and your mom's not here, so you need to, you know, clean up after yourself. All right? Oh, uh, uh-oh. Uh, I should have had everybody sign a waiver, right? I went the church got hit today with fruit. All right, uh, coming in at number two, uh, 2.44. $2 billion is apples, right? Um, my, my favorite apple is pink ladies, right? I man, They are the absolute best, right? And any, any idea what number one is? Don't go there yet. Number one, what do you think? Peaches, okay. Some of you are real close, but they grouped them together as berries, right? At, at three point, oh, oh, by the way, okay. Okay, hey, save these for home because... You're crunching, I'll interrupt myself. Anybody want an apple? Granny Smith? Okay, I'm going to do soft toss like they're doing baseball. Here you go, soft toss. Anybody else? Granny Smith? Got a Granny Smith over here. They're not bad. Oh, Granny Smith, Granny Smith. Okay, here you go, Jeff. All right, we got one over there. All right, anybody, anybody? Oh, okay. You know what? We need a handoff back there to Mrs. Rice back there. I, I do not want to hit her and hurt her. Anybody else for... Here we go, way in the back, watch your head, oh! All right, okay. All right. All right. Okay. Okay, those are the top five. The most popular, at least in the United States. But there's some fruits in the produce department that often get overlooked. Uh, They're kind of disrespected. Because some of us aren't even aware that they are, in fact, fruits. And so by a show of hands, I, I want to do a little test here on these often overlooked fruits. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Anybody knows what those are? Figs. All right? Any fig buyers out there? Okay? And fig newtings don't count. All right? Fig newtings don't count. And, and, and speaking of fig newtings, anybody like fig newtings? See? Here we got a fig newton over there. We got a fig newton over here. See? Hey, take your trash with you. Your mama's not here. There you go. Oh, Gentiles baseball coach. Right? Anybody over here? All right. All right. Okay. Oh, what's up with that? Okay. Hey, anybody recognize this next fruit? Anyone know what that is? Dates. Okay. Uh, Do we have any date buyers out there? Anybody out there buying dates on a regular basis? I mean, in the grocery aisle. All right. Okay, in the grocery. All right. That was bad. I got some dates here. I got a few dates for you. Uh, They come in pairs. Hey, watch out. They got a seed in them. Anybody want a date? You want, I knew you would want a date. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Sorry. There's another date. Hey, any, any other married people need a date? <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. I, I, I have one more fruit, and I'm not going to throw it. Anybody know what this fruit is? The next one. Nope. Rhubarb. Rhubarb. And some of you are thinking, wait a second, is that really a fruit? I thought it was a vegetable. Well, actually, this is free. In 1947, a U.S. court determined that rhubarb, at least in the United States, was declared a fruit. And seriously, it was a slow judicial season. They're trying to clear up the important things of life. And so, you know, rhubarb is a fruit, at least in the United States. I have some of that. If you never bit been in one of those things, it will surprise you. All right. I'm not going to throw those. You can come up and taste it after service. And so there are these fruits, figs and dates and rhubarb, and they just don't tend to get much respect. I mean, very rarely do we go out of our way to, to buy any of these unless you're looking for a, a sermon illustration at Harris Teeter on Saturday like I was yesterday. Uh, they are the forgotten fruit. And this morning, as we continue in our study of the fruit of the Spirit, and we come to the fruit of gentleness in my humble produce opinion, you know, I see gentleness as the rhubarb of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, gentleness tends to be the fruit that we know is on the list, but it's not the fruit that many of us desire. It's not something we think about. I mean, when we pray for love and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and self-control, but, but, but when is the last time you prayed for gentleness? Gentleness. See, gentleness, it's not something we pray about very often. We don't seem to have much of an appetite for it. And, 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 And I'm not sure that it's so much that we forgot about it. I think we know what's on the list, but it's not something that maybe we even want to have. Because when we think of gentleness, we tend to think of a passive, wimpy person who gets walked on all the time. I mean we never really use this word gentleness to describe ourselves. If you're filling out a resume, I'm not sure you're going to put on there one of my qualities is gentleness. No employer ever says, "You know what we need around here? We need to hire another gentle person." And you don't see that. I mean, you put on we want someone motivated. We want someone ambitious. We want someone driven. If a politician is doing a commercial trying to tell you why you should vote for them, you don't hear politicians describing themselves, vote for me because I'm, it's coming up. Vote for me for the next president because I am gentle, right? Athletes don't win, you know, the gentleness award at the end of the year. If you're hiring an attorney, you don't want a gentle attorney. You don't want a nice, gentle kitty. You want a ferocious tiger, right? That 's what you want. I mean you want a heavy hitter one call that 's all that 's what you want you don 't want gentleness, you want someone who 'll do anything they can to win so gentleness, like rhubarb tends to be something that uh, we don 't look for or desire in our lives all that much and, and, and in fact, I saw a, a poll done by George Barner listing the thirty one listen thirty one characteristics of Christians found in the Bible and and they were Asked to list them in order of priority. Guess who came up number 31? Rhubarb, right? Gentleness. Why is it? I mean, why isn't gentleness a fruit that we desire? Again, I I think it's because we tend to associate gentleness with weakness. When we hear gentle, we think weak. We don't equate gentleness with power and success. When we think of gentleness, we, we think of a person who doesn't have that aggressive personality needed to win the big game. When we hear gentleness, we think of the person who gets walked on and taken advantage of all the time. Uh, Gentle people, they do not get the good parking places, right, at the mall. Uh, They just aren't willing to do what it takes. So when we hear gentleness, it tends to be a word that we're not very attracted to. And we don't necessarily even want that word to describe us, this week I typed in the word gentle into my thesaurus, and here's some of the words that came back to me. Mild, docile, soft, and tender. Well, who wants that? I mean, unless you're a newborn, right? I mean, you may not want those things. Yet when we, what we find in Scripture consistently is that the words gentle and gentleness are used to describe a Jesus follower. They're used to describe someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So, so I think what we need is, is, all of us, we need a better understanding of what Scripture is talking about when it talks about gentleness. Now, gentleness is translated from the Greek word. Uh, I'm going to totally say this wrong, but you don't know any better. I should have even told you that, right? You could have thought I said it right. I can't even speak American right, you know. <laughs> uh, prates. And the word "prates" means power. Prates, and the word "prates" means power and strength that is under control. Uh, The Greeks use this to describe a wild stallion. Look at that! um, Full of power that has been tamed. Power and strength under control. Uh, a, A wild stallion out of control is dangerous. Under control is useful. Water out of control is a flood. Water in control can run through a dam and turn turbines and create electricity. A disease out of control can kill people, but a disease under control can produce a vaccine that saves many lives. It's power and strength that's under control. So a good definition of the gentleness would be power and strength that is under control under, under the control of the Holy Spirit to benefit someone else. It's power and strength. It's where we, we, we give the reins of our power and our strength to the Holy Spirit so that he can accomplish his purposes in our lives. That's the picture that goes with the, the word "protes. Now, there's another list in Galatians 5 that also tells us something about this word gentleness because if you remember before Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit, he had another list. It was the list of the sins of the sinful nature. Remember the idea that before you and I can actually grow the fruit, we have to pull the weeds? And some of us, that's been the problem all these years, why the fruit's not growing, because we've allowed the weeds to continue to grow. Well, one of the weeds of the sinful nature is the antonym, Of the word prates, it's the opposite of gentleness, and it's translated in verse 20 in Galatians 5 as outburst of anger. This is the opposite of, of gentleness. While gentleness is your power, your strength, your emotions, your frustrations under the control of the Holy Spirit, outbursts of anger are your emotions, your power, your strength. Your aggravation, your frustration under the control of the sinful nature. Get it? Good. Now, Jesus is the ultimate picture, right, of gentleness. He used gentleness to describe himself. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I'm gentle and humble in heart. In Matthew 21, 5, in his triumphal entry, they quoted the prophet Zechariah, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey. He's a perfect picture of gentleness, but Jesus was anything and most definitely not weak, right? He was anything but a wimp, anything but timid, right? I mean, if you're doing our faith comes from hearing reading. We do this, we're reading through the New Testament this year as a church, and we read John chapter 2, right? And remember what at the end of John chapter two? Did you see someone weak and timid, mild and soft? Someone who could be walked over? No, Jesus came into the temple, right? God's house and people were bringing things into God's house that ought not be there. And he started, he caused a ruckus, right? He's overturning tables. He's, he, he's cracking a whip, right? He's driving them out. And he said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. You know, I often wonder when I read this, if Jesus came in here to our church, and yeah, yeah, I know we don't have a, we're not, well, I do have fruit, but <laughs> we don't really have a marketplace here. But, but what do you, what do you come and say? We need to draw some of this stuff out. You're making this place all about you. You're making this place all about what you want. That's not what this place is about. It's what I want. It's for my glory. Get these things out of here. Get these attitudes out of here. Get these words out of here. You think he might not, might do that? It may be cracking the whip my way, and maybe your way. Gentleness, power, and strength under the control of the Holy Spirit for the benefit of others. So the question is, how does God develop this fruit in our lives? Well, like with the other parts of the Spirit, by by putting us in the exact opposite situation. Remember, if you want to learn love, then God's going to bring some very unlovely people around you, right? Right? hard to love people. You want to learn joy? God's going to place you in the middle of a storm to find that joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is grounded in your relationship with God. You know, God's going to teach you peace, right, by bringing on a bunch of stress, right? God's going to teach you patience by putting you in situations where you're going to be tempted to lose that patience. God's going to teach you faithfulness, Right? You know, by putting a roadblock in your path to see how much you're willing to pay in order to follow through on what God has called you to do. And when it comes to producing gentleness in our lives, God's going to bring basically six different types of people into our lives that are going to give us an opportunity, right, uh, to grow in our gentleness. Now, around Thursday, I I changed the title of this conversation from, you know, Gentleness, when you're mistreated, to gentleness, let yours be evident. How, wait, I don't even know what I called it again, right? It's, put it on the screen so I can do, do we have it? What is it called? <laughs> all right. I actually did do the title, right? Okay. Gentleness, let it be evident to all, to all these different people. God's going to bring your life that you maybe don't want to be gentle with. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. To all, the Lord is near. And so we're going to talk about those six different people. And as I like to say many times, you know, though it's fun to sit in church and, and, and think, you know, I am so glad my, my husband came today. I'm so glad they're in church today because they, they so need to hear. Okay, that, or I'm so glad Steve is preaching about this because he's so screwed up when it comes to gentleness, all right? That's not why God brought us here, right? He brought brought me here. Even though I'm up here talking, I got to tell you, this series has been in my face every week and I'm getting tired of it, (laughs) you know, not really, you know, uh, even though I'm up here speaking this, I'm up here receiving this, right? Because the only person I can change is me. The only person you can change is you. So don't let Satan steal what God has for you by you wanting to apply this to somebody else. Get it? Good. All right, here we go. Uh, when someone serves you, be understanding, not demanding. Question How do you treat people who provide a service to you? How do you treat the waitress in the restaurant, store clerks, bank tellers, the workers at Chick fil A, the workers at the DMV, police officers, your employers, your employees? Are, are, are you rude and demanding? Are you indifferent and impersonal to them as if they're just part of the machinery? Do you even not acknowledge their existence as they serve you? Do you think about what kind of day they had and the struggles that they're going through? Or do we only think of ourselves when someone serves us and wish they would serve us better? One of the ways we develop gentleness is, is by working at being kind and understanding to those who, who serve us. And you know, one of the things that Christians are notorious for is being rude and demanding in restaurants. I don't know why that is, uh, but for all the years I've been a Christian, I've heard that over and over again from restaurant employees, and I've also seen it myself because I worked for four and a half years at a Perkin restaurant at Main Gate by Disney, and nobody wanted to work on Sunday morning because they hated working for Christians. I worked a night shift. I hated to work night of joy because that was the worst night to work because they come in after a concert. We love you, Jesus. And they come in and trash the place and be rude and demanding. I don't get it, right? How, what an ugly picture, right? We're in here, oh, I love you, Jesus. You're awesome. And then the waiter screws your order up at, later on the day, and you're like, hey, hey, hey we're over here. You messed this up, you know? I, I say, if you're gonna be rude, cook at home, okay? You know, and don't go to restaurants. But, I say go to restaurants, be kind and understanding, and leave a very generous tip, even if your service is not that great, and be an example for Christ. So people say, hey, I want the Sunday lunch shift because I want to wait on Christians. would it be great to change that and have the whole community talk about every Christian, every church say, I love waiting on Christians. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Next, when someone sins, be restoring, not judging. Brothers, if someone is caught in the sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, now the Greek word "restore" means to it means to to, to, to mend the net or to, to to set a broken bone. And if you ever had a, a broken bone set, that's not a necessarily pleasant experience. You see, the sinning believer, it, it, he's like a torn net, he's like a broken bone that needs to be restored gently. And there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with somebody's sin. And understand, you know, what Paul's talking about here in Galatians 6.1, we need to know a little bit of the background of this book. And what was happening in the church in Galatia is, is, is there's this problem of legalism in the church. Uh, this uh, Phariseeism and rule keeping and holier-than-now-ism going on. And so Paul says, Watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And, and, and I kind of think the temptation he may be talking about here is, is the temptation when we restore a, 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 a sinning believer, the temptation to become prideful. Uh, to to I, You know, I'm so much better, I'm so much more spiritual than they are. Even if we don't say it out loud, they can kind of feel it. They fall in, look at me, I'm just, I'm, I'm just pretty good. And remember the parable Jesus told in Luke 18? A Pharisee and a tax collector, they, they go into the temple to pray, and the tax collector beats his chest and cries out to God, have mercy on me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Great prayer. One God will answer. The Pharisee's prayer wasn't so great. God, I thank you, thou isst that I am not likest other men, (laughs) robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And that was the attitude going on in the church of Galatia. And so Paul needed to give them some guidance. Because instead of trying to restore a fallen brother, uh, they became legalists and religionists and look at spiritual I amist, and condemned him rather than restore him. In John chapter 8, we see the right and wrong way to restore a sinner, right? The woman caught in adultery. Remember the Pharisees, they dragged her before Jesus? And they weren't interested in restoring, were they? They were interested in judging her and trapping Jesus. Wrong way. But Jesus' reaction to her was full of sensitivity. He defended her in front of other people, And then after the crowd left, he dealt privately with her sin. And I can't emphasize how important that word privately is when dealing with issues that people have, telling her to go and sin no more. You see, Jesus was interested in restoring her, not judging her. You see, a sinning believer needs to know more than that their sin is wrong, they need to know that because of Jesus, because God created salvation and righteousness, that they are no longer under the law, but under grace. You know, I can relate to what we sang this morning. A thousand times I failed. I think a little bit more for me. I don't know your number. But still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, I'm still caught in what? I'm caught in your grace. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When someone disagrees with you, be tender without surrender. You see, it's a fact of life that you'll never be able to please everyone. The truth is, you'll meet a lot of people who seem to have made it their life mission to always disagree and argue with you. I mean, some people will try to contradict everything that you say, and the question is, how should we respond to these people? Well, there's two wrong ways. One wrong way is to, to retreat in fear, Right? Okay, have it your way. It's the peace at any price philosophy. But I'm here to tell you that peace at any price usually carries many hidden costs. Another wrong way is to, is to act in anger, right? But understand, if we get offensive and fight back every time someone opposes and disagrees with us, that will not work either. So when someone disagrees with us, we can retreat or we can react in anger, and neither of these two work. Gentleness is somewhere in the middle. A gentleness is having an opinion of what you believe is right and holding that opinion, but allowing room and respect for other people to have an opinion as well. Now understand, what I'm saying is we, we, we don't fight, but we don't back off either. Gentleness requires being tender without surrendering our convictions you know, about what we are saying and what we're doing if we think they're right. Proverbs fifty one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That verse is so true. And I've done it right and I've violated it probably more times, right? But you know what? When I I respond with gentleness, it usually goes, it's pretty crazy how that works, right? When I respond to to anger with anger, guess what happens? Woo! It gets ugly. I, I love this quote by George Patton. Never fight a battle when you won't gain anything by winning. You ever fight any of those battles? If you're married, you probably fight them a lot, right? You see, gentleness is the ability to disagree agreeably. I understand, you can walk hand in hand without always seeing eye to eye. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in and hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And here's one, my observation. <clears throat> that, that one of the things that the body of Christ, the church, needs to grow in is in our ability to disagree with one another without becoming disagreeable without outburst of anger you see on the essentials we must agree on but there're so many issues that we have faced that we are facing and that we will face as a church that are not essential and usually they're the ones that people get all bent out of shape on right Understand, we need to allow room for disagreement in the body of Christ and still love and respect each other. We we cannot allow disagreements on non-essential issues, non-essential matters to cause division and to get us off mission, right? Because who's trying to do that? If someone's trying to cause division and get us off mission, I can tell you it's not the Holy Spirit, right? It's the devil, right? We can't allow that. We're going to have different opinions. And one of the marks of a mature church is, hey, yeah, we don't agree with everything. You know, but we love the church and we love the mission and we're not going to cause a ruckus. We're not going to stir things up. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Uh, when someone corrects you, be teachable, not unreachable. Remember, God's talking to you. He's talking to me. Whoever ignores corrections leads others astray. He who hates correction is uh, stupid. I always like The Bible uses that word because it gives me permission. (laughs) Whoever heeds correction is honored. I like the message Bible in Proverbs 9. If you reason with an arrogant cynic, you'll get slapped in the face, confront bad behavior, and you'll get a kick in the shins. So don't waste your time on a scoffer. All you'll get for your pain is abuse. But if you correct those who care about life, that's different. They'll love you for it. Save your breath for the wise. They'll be wiser for it. Tell good people what you know, and they'll profit from it. And let's just admit it. Okay, hey, let's just be honest. Most of us don't like to be corrected, right? Because it's humbling, right? I mean, how, how do you respond when someone corrects you? How do I respond? How, how do we respond when, when someone points out something to us that they feel is wrong and not right? I mean, do we receive it, or do we immediately enter the defense attorney mode, right, and, and try to explain, well, why what we did wasn't really wrong and how we're justified in our behavior. And let me say gentleness, like I said, like these other qualities has been in my face all week. I'm a messed up pastor, full of messed up people. And for first time visitors, you fit right in, right? (laughs) Because we're messed up. And God helps us get less messed up, right? Right? But, but, but I, I want to tell you, I'm taking seriously that it's time to grow, you know, because I'm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I know some of you think I'm probably in my mid-20s. That's not true. <laughs> Somehow my, my oldest daughter turned 31. She was born on spring, and it's like, it's harder to deny. My, when you have a 31-year-old daughter, there's, like, you can't be 20 anymore. It just doesn't work, all right? And you know what? I, I, I want to grow. I want to be the man God wants me to be. I I, I, I want a river flowing out of me that brings life to wherever it flows, wherever it touches. And and I got a lot of work to do, but I'm working on it. And and, and I'm going to be a different person because the Holy Spirit is going to help me. And, And see, one of the keys for us to be able to take correction is if we're a person who wants to learn and grow, right? You know. If we want to learn and grow, we're able to take correction, right? But if we already know it all, then we really can't take correction. I mean, so, you know, who, who, are, who are you, who am I, who are we willing to learn from? Can we learn from our spouse, from our kids, from our opponents? Nobody has all the answers. I don't and you don't. So we must keep on learning. It's kind of like the guy who was being sworn in the court and they said, hey, you know, do you promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth help me, God. And the guy said, hey, if I knew the whole truth and nothing but the truth, I'd be God, right? Yeah, I'd be God, right? Some of you will catch on that later. Listen to the tape, okay? I was expecting a better response. I feel like a little bit of rhubarb up here today, okay? But gentleness involves being willing to learn from other people and to admit when we're wrong. I mean, we can make so much effort, I can and you can, right? Of all the reasons why what we did wasn't wrong, and sometimes just said." Hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Shouldn't have done that. And it's over. We go, well, no, let me, here, I got this here, and let me, got this here, and this here, and that's why my position really wasn't, just say, hey, you know what, I should have done it. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When someone hurts you, be an actor, not a reactor. By actor, I don't mean pretender or hypocrite. I mean be one who initiates action. Apostle Peter recalled how Jesus responded, Before Pilate, 1 Peter 2, verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And while Pilate is questioning Jesus, Jesus could have commanded the armies of heaven to come down and rescue him in an instant. I mean, the trial wasn't even legal, but Jesus endured the trial. Let me ask you, who was really in control of that situation, Pilate or Jesus? I mean, the psychological dynamics of that conversation are fascinated, fascinating. Pilate is threatened. You know, the guy in power, he's threatened by Jesus' silence, by Jesus just standing there. It made Pilate nervous. You see, Jesus, rather than reacting, assumed control of the situation by choosing to remain silent. Jesus didn't react to Pilate's insults because he knew exactly who he was, the Son of God. And all through the mockings and the beatings and the scourging and the crucifixion and the pain, Jesus kept his strength under control. Maple Grove, when someone hurts you, be an actor, not a reactor. Strength is found in gentleness. And gentleness is the ability to handle hurt without striking back. Jesus called it turning the other cheek. You say that's not easy to do. I say, yeah, you're right. It's almost impossible. Uh, You say it's not natural. I say, you're exactly right. In fact, it's supernatural. You see, we need God's spirit to be able to live God's way, and thankfully, he gave us that spirit. Maple Grove, when someone hurts you, stabs you in the back, what do you do? Do you pull out your big guns and react? If you do, you're letting that person control your emotions. Understand, no one can take control from you. But you can give it away the moment you start reacting. Maybe right now someone has hurt you. And if so, know that you will and you are choosing whether you're going to be an actor or a reactor. Paul says, do not repay evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, don't react, act. To get angry and mad is to act. To forgive and be kind and gentle is to react. I mean, it's to act, rather. I heard a story about a guy. Walking with his friend to get a newspaper, and he picks up the newspaper, and the guy behind the stand is just nasty and angry and rude and just pushes the paper at him. And as they're leaving, the guy goes, hey, like, you come here every day? He goes, yeah. And you talk to that guy every day? Yeah. And he acts that way every day? Yeah. And you're nice to him even though he does that? Yeah. He goes, why do you do that? He says, because I do not want him to control the way that I act. I'm like, I'm okay, you can be angry, and I, but I, that's not gonna determine how I'm gonna be. See, every day you and I get to decide how we're gonna respond when people hurt us and they're gonna hurt you. <laughs> and gentleness is choosing to respond to others in the right way, regardless of what they've done to you. And I'm, I'm talking about confronting sin, right? Because sometimes the acting we do is actually to confront that sin and wrong behavior. Get it? Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And lastly, when someone doesn't share your beliefs, be respectful, not disrespectful, not condescending, not holier than thouing. Have you noticed that a lot of sharing of our faith, man, like you watch on TV and you see some of these people, man, it's kind of like in your face and we're just putting people down. Like the world's, well, they're sinners. Yeah, they're messed up. That's what sin does. That's why they need the good news. We need to respect people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Respect means that we accept them. That doesn't mean we approve of their lifestyles. There's a difference between acceptance and approval. I can accept you as a person and your worth as a person without approving of all that you do. You see, I long for us to become a church that is full of a bunch of people who are unbelievers that are really sinning, (laughs) you know, that we can say, hey, you know what? I love you. And I, and I see your worth in God, and I'd like you to get to know God a, a little bit better. You know, and not have them walk in and feel like, oh, wow. It'd be like condemning a person for walking to a hospital sick. What are you doing here? You're sick. I thought that's why I came, because I'm sick. You know, we want people to come in here with sin issues. And know that, hey, we love you, and we accept you, and, and we want you to know Jesus. and w- Jesus can fix your problems better than we can. We just want to introduce you to Jesus. The guy who fixed our problems. Does that make sense? We want to be respectful. Remember, evangelism is just one beggar telling another where to find bread, right? That's all it is. When I was hungry, and I found bread, and it's really some good bread. It's like the bread you get at Outback. Ooh, good bread. (laughs) It is good. Jesus was gentle. He wants us to be gentle. It was natural to Jesus. It's not natural to us. We're going to have to work on it, Right? I guarantee you God's going to bring some people this week who are going to correct you, who are going to serve you, who are going to disagree with you. You may encounter a sinning believer. You may may encounter an unbeliever. But gentleness has a powerful evangelistic quality to it. Lee Strobel writes about how gentleness impacted his family. He writes, my daughter Allison was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. All she had known in those five years was a dad who was profane and angry. I remember I came home one night and I kicked a hole in the living room wall just out of anger with life. I'm ashamed to think of the times Allison had to hide in her room just to get away from me. Five months after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, a little girl went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he did for Daddy. At age five, Strobel writes. Now, now what was she saying? She had never studied the archaeological evidence or the fulfillment of prophecy. All she knew was that her dad used to be this way, hard to live with, but more and more her dad was becoming this way. And if that's what God does for people, then this little five-year-old girl said, sign me up, sign me up. And I'm here to tell you, Maple Grove, as you and I allow the Holy Spirit to develop the fruit his fruit in our lives of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. As that flows out of us, you know what people encounter? You're going to say, you know what? Sign me up. If that's what it means to go to church, I thought going to church was about being judged and being told how messed up you were. If that's what it means to be a Jesus follower, if that's what God can do to you, that he can actually give you joy when you have no reason, that he actually can give you you peace when the pressure's on, then, man, sign me up. I want it now, and I want it today. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I'm going to close with this passage, and then we're going to sing. And Jesus said, because I don't know where you are in your walk. And maybe you know him, maybe you don't. Maybe you've been living for him. Maybe you've been doing some stupid stuff. But I want you to know that we come to a gentle, humble Savior. If you're tired and weary and wounded, Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I will give you is light. See, church, your king comes, and he's gentle, and he rode on a donkey. And he hung on a cross so that you and I can be like him, so you and I can become this river that flows out of us. If you're here today and you've never surrendered to Christ, man, you can come up and do that. If you've been doing some stupid stuff and you need to repent, which is probably everybody in this room, you should do that as well and allow God to flow and be more and more in your life. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you so much. And God, just move in us right now. And God, thank you for everything that you have done for us. And God, I pray, Lord, that no matter what we've done, that right now we declare that the one reigning, the one ruling in our lives is is not the world, is, is not our sinful nature, God, but that you will forever reign in our lives. And that we know that we can come to you broken and wounded because you love us and care about us. In Jesus' name, amen.